0: please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. We're going to begin, we're going to continue looking at Jesus's words there concerning the coming kingdom, Luke 17. We're going to be reading verses 20 through 37 together. We're looking at 22 through 37. We looked at verses 20 and 21 last week, and so be be turning to that. As as you turn there, let me just remind you of uh, what's in your bulletin there. There's uh, several great things to look at and think about. One of them is a a sheet entitled uh, the Fall 2012 Opportunities for, for Growth Through Classes and Study. There's a lot of neat opportunities on there. I encourage you to, to think about those. Uh, one in particular kind of caught uh, my attention as we've been talking about what we're going to be offering uh, this fall. Uh, it's it's on, under the Bringing the Bible to Life Monday classes, and it's a class on financial stewardship. And one of the reasons that's caught my attention is I know that we're entering a new phase of our church life. We're going to begin uh, looking at this new building and the potential for, for building, and of course part of that is going to be to for each of us to consider the financial commitment, the sacrificial commitment that we're going to make toward this, this building ministry. And uh, honestly, as, as I think about calling people to make uh, sacrificial gifts to a ministry like this, um, I want us to make sure that we're at the right spot to, to respond to a call like that. We live in a very materialistic culture, and as part of that culture, I believe even those of us who, who love the Lord Jesus Christ struggle to rightly understand our finances. And so my fear, uh, hopefully a godly fear, here, would be that we'd come to this time and and there'd be this, this neat opportunity for us to spiritually examine ourselves and, and, we, and we'd miss it. And so I believe it's important for us not just to be able to raise money for this building, but I think it's important for us to use this time to spiritually examine ourselves and say, okay, as I think about my entire lifestyle, whenever people are calling me to give financially and sacrificially, what, what might God be trying to teach me? I just think this is a neat opportunity for our church not only for our church but for us as individuals as a part of this church to to see where our hearts are in terms of this present kingdom and what sort of holistic changes do we need to make in our, our lifestyle so i hope that as excited as i am about the building that that, that this building ministry uh, can can cause some neat uh, self-examination in a lot of different areas one of them being finances and so i'd encourage you to if, if this is an area particularly that you, you as you think about your heart and your relationship with the guy you say you know what uh, my finances don't reflect kingdom living <laughs> my finances are not where they need to be for a follower of Jesus Christ and uh, I need I need to think about that I need some good godly counsel to encourage you to, to think about that class before you begin thinking about other things and other other ways God may, may call you to, to give that you'd first analyze your heart in light of God's word in that area so just uh, just a thought as you consider what your fall is going to look like there's Lots of opportunities. Uh, the, the Bethany uh, 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 Gospel Institute is going to be beginning. I encourage you to think about that as well. And so there's just a, a lot of neat opportunities for discipleship. Well, we've hopefully found Luke by now. So uh, Luke 17, if you'd stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. I'm going to begin in verse 20. We're looking at verses 20 through 37. As this, this coming kingdom, this already and, and yet not yet kingdom of God. Verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, this is Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, look, or look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. may be seated god encourage us through his word this morning and let's pray and ask for god's continued blessing on our time together uh, this morning father we thank you for our time together we thank you for the opportunity to worship together change our hearts in light of your word and we pray this in your son Jesus' name for your glory amen a few months ago My daughter, Hannah, came to me and asked me if I would take her on a date to a bookstore, to which I replied, "Uh, yeah, combining my favorite things, dates and bookstores, of course. And so we went to the bookstore, and we uh, went, and we found this bargain book uh, section, and I found this book entitled 30 Second Politics, 30 Second Politics. It was 50 intriguing political theories uh, described very succinctly on on a page each. And I thought, wow, uh, 50 political theories. And um, our family could discuss these at the dinner table. Um, What kid wouldn't love talking political theory with his or her dad at the dinner table? I know four now that wouldn't particularly think that's just an amazing thing to do. So anyway, we, we, did, it, we did it anyway, and we, we talked about these different political theories and, and how we're governed, and we talked about a, a monarchy and how decisions are made in a monarchy by the monarch, and the kids said, wow, that sounds a lot like our family. And uh, <laughs> then we talked about despotism, and which is kind of like a monarchy, but here the despot doesn't care what the subjects think. And our kids said, oh, that's our family. And uh, then we talked about democracy, and I told the kids, "Don't get your hopes up." Uh, and then we talked. Actually, then we came to sections of political theory dealing with uh, classes and, and and revolt against the ruling elite. And we skipped over some of that, as I saw the gleam in the kids' eyes. I thought, I don't want to Marxists here." Um, and so we kind of talked about these different political theories. And as we talked about these different political theories, different ways that human beings have devised to organize themselves and to make decisions to form governments, we found that all of them were lacking, right? As they've been implemented in society, as, they've, as people have organized together and taken these political philosophies and decided to rule their lives in light of these philosophies, as they go from theory into reality, they all fail in some way. They all fail. We are members of imperfect kingdoms. We organize ourselves, we rule ourselves, and yet all human kingdoms ultimately fail. Last week we began talking about the kingdom of God, and we talked about how the kingdom of God is is already here in some ways. There's a spiritual kingdom of God that that we've been called to enter through faith in Jesus Christ. And and what we're going to see today is as we enter that, that kingdom of God, we look forward to a a future kingdom of god and this future kingdom of god that we look forward to affects our lives here and now we live in this kingdom this this political kingdom that we're a part of the worldly kingdom we live in it in a different way than other people because we're anticipating a future kingdom because we're already part of of Christ's kingdom now in fact we sung er, there's Hebrews 12 was referenced in the, in the scripture we looked at this morning while we were worshiping. I, I think of Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, it describes these men and women of faith. It talks about Abraham, for example, and how he, he left his home, and he, he looked forward to this land of promise. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, the writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 10 of chapter 11. And then verse 13 of Hebrews 11, and she's talking about these men and women of faith, and the writer says, these all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and and greeted them from afar and and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, in other words, people who, who live in the way that these men and women lived, people who live that way and talk this way, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. You and I are members of imperfect kingdoms. We exist in this world, and we love the people who are in this world. And yet, for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, who have entered the spiritual kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, this isn't our ultimate kingdom. And the way that we live our lives should demonstrate that we don't believe that this is our ultimate kingdom. This this morning, as, as you leave, we're going to be taking up a, a special benevolence offering. We, we take up benevolence offerings on every Sunday that we, we do communion. We're going to be doing that at the end of service and encourage you to be preparing your hearts now. And our special offering today is for some missionaries in Colorado who are are part of our our fellowship who who lost their home in the Colorado fires. They lost everything in that fire. They'd only been able to take with them clothing for 72 hours. Everything was was burned up in that home. Their photo albums, their, their books, all the rest of their clothing, technology, computers, all those things gone like that. Imagine your life going up in smoke. Are your roots in this kingdom so so broad and so deep, and are you so fervently attached to this kingdom that the idea of losing the things that make you a part of this kingdom are, are you so attached that that just kind of fills you with 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 dread, with 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 just kind of a, a sense of, of unease? Are are you so connected to this kingdom? Last week we saw you enter into the spiritual kingdom that, that's already here in some ways. You, you enter into this, this kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What we're going to see this morning is that there is a, a future aspect to the kingdom of God. There's going to be a, a future kingdom of God that's revealed in a very profound way. All people are going to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ someday. And if you're going to participate in that kingdom in the future, you must first have entered the kingdom now through faith in Jesus Christ. And once you do that, You're going to demonstrate that you're a part of this future kingdom by how you live in the kingdom right now. And what we're going to see, kind of the central idea I want you to kind of meditate upon as we look at these verses, 22 through 37 of Luke 17. What I want you to see is you cannot grasp the kingdom of God without letting go of this present kingdom. In order to grab hold of the future kingdom of God, you must let go of this present kingdom. You cannot simultaneously grab on to the kingdom of God and this present kingdom of this world. You can't do it. A person who's grasping the kingdom of God has let go of this kingdom. You cannot exist as members of both kingdoms. There are going to be moments in life that force you to choose And your choices at those moments reveal what part, what kingdom you're truly part of. Here's what I want us to do. In verses 22 through 37, what I believe Jesus is doing is he's kind of He's not necessarily giving us a precise chronological timeline. He's not saying, okay, event A is going to take place, then event B, then event C. He's kind of giving us some important truths about this kingdom. So what I want us to do is, first of all, I want us just to consider five words about the kingdom. I'm going to give you five words that are related to the kingdom of God. And then, after we've looked at those five words, I want us to consider, okay, if, if these things are true about the kingdom of God, how should I respond? How should I prepare for the coming kingdom of God. So here's five words about the, ki- the coming kingdom. The first word that I want you to think about is the word future. The word future. Look what Jesus says in verse 22. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming. These are future days when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. So in verse 20, remember who is who he talking to? He was talking to the Pharisees, and they were challenging him. And so he responds to them in verse 20. Now in verse 22, he's talking to his disciples, to a group of people who understand in some sense the immediacy of the kingdom of God. They believed in Jesus Christ to some degree, and they understand that, that he's the one that's, that's establishing the kingdom of God. And now what he's letting them know is, okay, not only is the kingdom of God here, but the kingdom of God is, is still future. There's a future aspect to the kingdom of God. Now, turn to the book of Revelation, verse 20. And as you turn there, I'm going to turn someplace else. I'm going to turn to the book of Daniel. He's talking about the days of the Son of Man, and I believe he's referencing a a similar idea that we see in Daniel chapter 7. So as you're turning to Revelation 20, let me read this. In uh, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel says that he sees these night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And so here's the this, this son of man who's presented before God the Father, and, and to this son of man, to the Messiah, is given all these kingdoms, his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, that's the kingdom of the Messiah. Now, as you turn to Revelation 20, the kingdom, I believe, that's described in Revelation 20 is this, this same kingdom that's referenced in Daniel 7 and the same kingdom we see in Luke 13. In Luke, I'm sorry, in Revelation 19, the Son of Man has returned, he's, he's vanquished his foes, and then in verse 1 of Revelation 20, John writes, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain, and he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a, a thousand years, okay, a thousand years. And that, that thousand years that we see referenced several times in these verses is what uh, many of us refer to as the millennial kingdom." And verse three says, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not might, might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed. Uh, verse um, five. He, verse four. He talks about the resurrection. Verse five. The rest of the dead. I'm sorry. Verse four. He's talking about the those who had worshiped the uh, those who had not worshiped these. Verse five. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Okay, And so um, as we think about this future aspect of the kingdom of God that I believe is described in Daniel chapter 7, it's described in Luke 13, and it's described here in Revelation 20 as well, a lot of Christians have had different understandings about this this, uh, millennial kingdom. Let me just kind of give you a couple of the understandings of the millennial kingdom that we've seen throughout church history as people try to understand what this kingdom is going to look like. Uh, some, as they come to Revelation 20 are, are what you call a millennial as they think about the thousand year reign. Amillennial, uh, ah millennial, a means no and so they, they don't believe there's a literal thousand year reign of Christ. They believe that we're already in this time period that's described in Revelation 20 and, and Christ is already reigning uh, spiritually, just kind of a a spiritual sense. And of course, it's true that Christ reigns spiritually, but I don't believe that's what is being described here in these verses. Uh, Some people would describe themselves as as post-millennial. And what a person who's a post-millennialist believes, uh, they believe that this millennial kingdom of Christ is is uh, currently being established. And so the, the church is working to establish the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is going to be established, and that's the end of the millennial period, and then Christ is going to return and reign. Uh, here's what one post millennialist uh, writes as he describes what he believes. He says, Post millennialism is the, that view of the last things which holds that the kingdom of God is now being extended in the world through the preaching of the gospel and the saving work of the holy spirit in the hearts of individuals and is that true well yes of course the kingdom of god is being proclaimed and built through the spreading of the gospel but then he goes on and says this the world eventually is to be christianized and the return of christ is to occur at the close of a long period of righteousness and peace commonly called the millennium and so the church in this view in the post-millennial view kind of establishes the kingdom of God, and, and that establishment of the kingdom of God is the millennium, and, and then Christ returns at the conclusion of that period. It's post-millennial. Now, there's a lot that you could kind of say a, about that, but uh, I would subscribe to a position called premillennialism. and that is a position that Christ is going to return and then usher in this thousand-year kingdom in which he reigns. There's a lot of reasons that I believe that this is, is the, the case. Uh, primarily, because I believe that for a kingdom to exist, Christ is going to have to reign as king over it. The kids and I were reading, uh, the kids and Whitney and I were reading through the book of Isaiah, just kind of reading some some bits from that, that, and we came to Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32 describes the reign of the king. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. And it talks about how the eyes of those uh, who see will not be closed. The ears of those who hear will give attention. He describes the, the reign of this king. And so I believe that right now we're living in this age in which the kingdom of God is not yet fully manifested. And someday the, the king is going to return and the king is going to establish his kingdom. And that kingdom is a, a future kingdom. Now, here's the thing that all of us have in common. No matter if a person is amillennial or postmillennial, or pre-millennial, or, or pan-millennial, you know what a pan-millennial list is? It's all going to pan out in the end, okay? That's not a biblical position, but that's uh, what some people believe as well. Uh, the, all, of the, all of us have in common this. It's the same thing that Jesus says his disciples have. He says you're going to desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. You're going to desire to see me return and establish my kingdom. That's what all of us, all true believers, should have in common. A desire to see our Lord and Savior come and establish his perfect reign of righteousness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, as he concludes this, this first letter to the Corinthians, he says, our Lord comes. Revelation twenty two seventeen, 17, John writes, the spirit and the bride say, come. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And John concludes, amen, come Lord Jesus. A person who has let go of this kingdom and has grasped the kingdom of God looks forward to the future establishment of God's kingdom. The things of this world are not held on to so tightly that they can't let them go at a moment's notice. So the kingdom of God, first, is, is future. The kingdom of God, secondly, it's, it's, as you think about what the kingdom of God is, the second word I want you to think about is, is, is the word visible. This future kingdom of God is, is visible. In verse 22... He says that it's a future kingdom. In verse twenty-three, he acknowledges that some people are going to make some claims about his return. People are going to come to you and say, "Hey, hey, look, look! The Messiah is over there. The kingdom of God's—it's over in this this location." Someone else is going to say, "No, no, it's over here." He goes, "No, no. When the kingdom of God comes, when the Son of Man comes, it's going to be like lightning across the sky. It flashes up the sky from one side to another, and so will the Son of Man be in his day." My family uh, plays this game, our our kids play this game called uh, Yellow Car, okay? And if you taught my kids Yellow Car, I'd like to talk with you after the service because we have some words. Now, now, granted, Yellow Car is better than the last game my kids played in the car. Uh, The last game that my kids used to play all the time was called Corn Beans, okay? And the way you play Corn Beans, I'm not kidding. You look out your window, and if you see corn, you say corn, if you say beans, you say beans. And so the, the back of the car, corn, 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 beans, beans, beans. So this game is better than that, but it's still pretty bad. Yellow car, uh, <laughs> my children aren't that bright sometimes. So that was a really challenging game, I guess. But um, yellow car is whenever you, you it's, it's actually pretty self-explanatory. Um, when you see a yellow car, you say, yellow car, all right? Now, my kids are, are legalists, as, as all children are when they start to play these games, and so they accuse each other of, you didn't really see a yellow car. Yes, I did. I saw a yellow car. Well, did it have riding on it? Yes. Then it doesn't count, and, you know, there's all sorts of, is it a motorcycle? And yes. Um, Whitney saw a yellow plane, and so she won games for all uh, eternity, but, um, one of the rules in yellow car is that someone else has to see it as well. And so if a child says yellow car, that sighting has to be verified by another child because they can't be sure that a yellow car was truly there. Whenever Christ comes, it's not like people are going to go, Are you sure that's him? It kind of, maybe it's him. Maybe it's not. It's going to be him. In fact, in Revelation chapter 6, is interesting. It's Christ's return, and, and we see some things about Christ's return there. Uh, people don't go around wondering, is it people whose hearts aren't right with God, don't go around going, I don't know if that's really God. I don't know if that's really the, the kingdom of God being manifested. What they do is, I, is they say, I wish rocks would fall on me to hide me from him. The kingdom of God and its return is, is visible. As lightning flashes across the sky, so the return of the son of man will be whenever we took our kids to go see fireworks this year Noah sat on my lap and he kept you know he kept on asking me dad is is this the finale is this the finale i said son when it's the finale you won't need to ask me if it's the finale and then the finale comes you know, he's going, that's the finale dad yeah that's the finale right now the kingdom of god is hidden it's not fully manifested right now. And a person enters into the kingdom of God by, by beholding the person of Jesus Christ and saying, boy, the, the value of Jesus Christ is far and above greater than any other value, any other aspect of this worldly kingdom. I want Christ more than anything else. I, I love him and I desire him. A person enters the kingdom of God that way, and it's, it's, it's hidden, and it's happening in small ways throughout the world and throughout our lives, throughout our church. We're entering the kingdom of God. We're establishing the kingdom of God. Whenever Christ returns to establish his permanent kingdom, it's not hidden. It's visible. The third word I want you to think about is the word rejected. It's the word rejected. Look at verse 25. What has to happen before the coming of the kingdom? Jesus says, but first, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Christ is the stone that the builders rejected. And this rejection, he says, is, is necessary. It's a necessary rejection. In chapter 24 of Luke, he'll say, The Son of Man must be, it it must happen that he's delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. In 26 of that chapter, 24, he'll say, it was necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and and enter into his glory. Verse 24, uh, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It had to happen that Christ would be rejected by this generation that he preaches the gospel of the kingdom to in order for him to suffer and allow us an entrance into the kingdom. Now, why did they reject the king? They rejected the king because they loved this present kingdom more than the kingdom Christ offered. Do you want to know whether or not you're embracing the kingdom of God? Do you want to know whether or not you're embracing the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ? Embracing the kingdom of God is going to manifest itself in kingdom living. You manifest a rejection of the kingdom of God as you cling to this kingdom and refuse to let go. As you say, you know what, to, to me, my status among people at work, my reputation is, is greater to me than being a member of the kingdom of God. My reputation with my friends as is, is someone that that's that's a cool person or a person that that's that's esteemed by my peers is is greater to me than to be known as, as a Christ follower. You manifest that you're rejecting the kingdom of God as you cling to this kingdom and refuse to embrace God's. Now, uh, verses 26 through 30, we see two things, two words that I want you to think about. The first word is the word sudden. It's sudden. Verse 26, he says, look, as, as, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of man. What were they doing? Eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage until the day the flood comes. What about the days of Lot? What were they doing? What were they doing? Eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. There's a monotony to -to day-to-day life that can sometimes cause us to, to lapse into a false sense of security and complacency. What happens in Noah's day? Day after day after day, life stays the same. What happens in Lot's day? Day after day after day, life stays the same. They're eating, they're drinking, they're, they're planting, they're building, things stay as they ever were. And sometimes in our in the monotony of the day-to-day life, and it's certainly true of our culture, we live in a very secure culture where things are, are generally the same day after day after day. We can confuse this monotony, this, this similarity of days, this pattern of life, we can confuse that with, with a, an a, eternal sense of security and can cause us, again, to become complacent. You know, there are, there are moments of life where our equilibrium is disturbed. And though we may fool ourselves into believing that day after day after day, things are going to stay the same. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and they're going to be the same as they were yesterday. I'm going to wake up t- the day after that and things are going to be the, the way they were ever before and it's going to continue that way. There are moments of our life where that equilibrium is disturbed in very profound ways, right? Think about 9-11, right? Most of us who are old enough to remember 9-11 can remember exactly where we were. I can remember standing in the church office, brought in a TV, and just just watching those towers fall and realizing that, that life was not going to be the same. It's times of tragedy. I can remember exactly where I was when my, my mom called me to tell me that my cousin had passed away. And I can just remember uh, I, I just remember the next moment so vividly and so clearly recon- realizing that, that my family life, our extended family, was, was not going to be the same anymore. My, my cousin w- was gone. And, and there are many instances like that in my life and your life that, that disrupt our equilibrium. Spiritually, The kingdom of God is going to come suddenly. And we exist in this current kingdom, this worldly kingdom, and we don't understand that the kingdom of God is upon us. It's close. It's at hand. The fifth word here, the fifth word, is the word destructive. It's destructive. Noah and Lot's culture, cultures lacked awareness about how their kingdom was was opposed to God and so uh, the people of Lot's day they're they're eating they're drinking they're buying they're selling they're planting they're building and and they're not aware of how their culture is is directly disobedient to what God has revealed in his word and revealed through nature about how we are supposed to live and what we are supposed to do the people of Noah's day uh, were were a a culture beyond our even conception of wickedness in some ways. And and yet, they're unaware that God's destruction is upon them. And when God's kingdom comes, it doesn't make truces with existing kingdoms. It's not like you and I can establish our own individual kingdom, and, and here's the kingdom of Daniel, and here's the rules for Daniel's kingdom, and here comes God's kingdom, and now God's kingdom and Daniel's kingdom are kind of kind of make some. Uh, we're gonna make we're gonna have some treaty talks, and we're gonna decide about what aspects of God's kingdom we like, and what aspects of Daniel's kingdom we like, and we'll we'll come to some sort of happy medium. No, Daniel's kingdom gets obliterated as Christ's kingdom is established. Do you see Jesus's message here? Yeah, yeah. enter enter the kingdom of God right now. There's there's this already aspect of of God's kingdom. And so don't, if you're a Pharisee, don't sit around waiting for some signs about when is the kingdom of God going to come? Jesus says, look, I'm the kingdom of God. It's in your midst. Enter it right now through faith in me. And there's also a future aspect of the kingdom of God. It's going to be established. And you know who's in a, a lot of trouble? The person who's clinging to this kingdom so tightly that they can't grasp onto God's kingdom. The kingdom of God, is it's future, it's visible. The kingdom of God is, has been rejected by many. The kingdom of God is going to come suddenly, and the kingdom of God, when it comes, is going to be destructive. So, how do we prepare, right? That's the next thing I want you to look at. We see that, how to prepare for the kingdom in verses 31 through 37. What does Jesus say? The first thing he says is in verse 31, okay? If it's true that this is how it's going to be when the Son of Man is revealed, number, number one, he says, he says here, on that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back, remember Lot's wife. And what happens with Lot's wife? As she prepares to leave her home, She turns back. And as she turns back, the scripture tells us she turns into a a pillar of salt. The person who's on their housetop, and in this culture, the the housetops could be these these living spaces. The person who's on their housetop when the the kingdom of God comes uh, is not going to be at a place, if they're prepared for the kingdom of God, where they say, you know what? Uh, As God's kingdom is established, let me go into my house and, and grab my things it's all gone. The person who's in the fields doesn't look back and say, you know what, now it's time for me to, to grab some other things that will help me as I enter into God's kingdom. No, it's all gone. I was reading a, a book by uh, Anne Fadiman, uh, ex-libris, and uh, she kind of describes some of her different uh, things that she likes and loves, mainly books. And She's talking about some books she has on, on uh, people who took expeditions to the south pole and she talks about the race between the the norwegians and the british to to reach the south pole and and she talks about how the norwegians were were single-minded in their focus so the norwegians as they travel they have this exact uh, timeline and what they're going to do and and uh pardon me for those of you who just really uh, love dogs, maybe cover yours, they would eat their dogs and they knew exactly which dog was going to be eaten when and they weren't so attached to the the material possessions that that got in line of their ultimate goal of reaching the South Pole. Not so the British. The British brought like books and had little uh, social clubs on the way down there and would, would talk about different you know japanese culture and they brought some books on the napoleonic wars and and they would you know they they weren't single-minded they refused to to do anything They, they they would carry the sleds themselves and in fact the 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 british expedition the last three people who were who who survived the trip and didn't survive the entire way they found the the bodies of the the three the three last british explorers 11 miles from a supply location they traveled 750 miles from the South Pole trying to get back to their camp, and throughout that, that traveling period, they carried with them about 30 to 40 pounds worth of, of rocks. They clung to some things that were extraneous that, that caused them to not be successful in what their ultimate purpose should have been, right? And yes, it was very romantic and it was, it was very, uh, the words they, they wrote down in their journals as they were dying were, were very poetic, but they still failed. The believer must be single-minded in his or her focus on the kingdom of God. You cannot lay hold of both kingdoms. And then I believe verse 33 is, is a key verse to this entire passage. Whoever seeks preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Here we see just the, the essential nature of what the kingdom of God looks like. If you want to preserve your life, lose it. If you want to grab hold of the kingdom of God, you must lose your hold on this world. The kingdom of God we see in verses 34 and through 36, and 36 isn't in some of, of your texts, but Uh, verses 34 and 35 talk about the way in which the kingdom of God is divisive. There's going to be two, and and one's taken. I believe that's taken off to judgment. One remains. Uh, There's going to be two women who are And so it talks about different times of the day, too. So two women are at the mill, and and one's taken, the other's left. And and so there's going to be this divisive element as people choose between which kingdom they're going to be a part of. And then the disciples ask this question, okay, well, Lord, where is this going to be? And and the Lord responds to them, well, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, what does that phrase mean? Well, haven't you ever used that expression before? You know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Uh, Don't cry over spilled milk. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. It's just a common expression I'm sure you use in your everyday life. No, I'm not exactly sure what it means, to be honest with you. Now, what I I think it probably means is that the the, the kingdom of God is going to be established in such a way that there's not going to be a doubt about it. And it's going to be a a destructive establishment. And if you want to know where the corpse is, watch where the vultures are. It's gruesome, it's permanent, it's visible. The kingdom of God is not something that we can grab hold of while holding on to the kingdom of man.